the Building Bite Podcast, a podcast for construction owners, insurance professionals, and construction contractors, where you can hear from the experts about topics to help you be successful. I am Peter Duggan, President and CEO of Proactive. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Dierksen, Senior Innovation and Content Solutions Consultant with Proactive, and one of the industry's leading subcontractor default insurance experts, Peter Kapler. Peter is the Senior Vice President and National Director of Performance Security for Aon. Peter comes to us from Toronto, Canada. Peter, how are you doing today? I'm great, guys. Nice to chat with you this morning. How are you? Excellent. Mike, how are you? Doing great, Peter. And Peter, great to have you on. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Peter, we are super excited to share with the audience some of the really good tips you have about optimizing the risk management function within contractors. But before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now? Uh, sure. So, you know, by way of background, uh, I'm actually an accountant by trade. I spent the probably the first decade of my of my career in the you know 20 or so years that uh, that I've been doing construction risk management as a member of a of a surety company. So I spent about 10 years in in surety, where I really got excellent experience and exposure in you know what I see as a very very multidisciplinary business. In fact, by way of segue for for any younger listeners, I'd really encourage you know younger people, especially grads coming out of you know business schools or law schools, to consider surety as a as a prospective uh, career track because it's you know a great sort of multidisciplinary business and an intersection of accounting, finance, risk engineering, uh, technical engineering, and then law, and it all kind of intersects within risk. So, so I spent the first sort of 10 years kind of cutting my teeth, developing my, my knowledge and experience there, learning the construction trade, learning, you know, construction law and construction accounting. Somewhere in the middle there, I took a couple of years off to pursue a passion project uh, in the nonprofit space. And then when it came down to sort of get back to business again, I, I gave my friends at, at Aon a call and then uh, linked up with them and uh, settled into a, a great opportunity to lead the SDI practice uh, for, for Canada at Aon. Awesome. And that's a great tip for the younger listeners. I appreciate that. Peter, when we spoke, uh, we had a great conversation, again, about how to optimize the risk management function within contractors. But I think in order for the audience to fully understand some of the tips that you give, perhaps you can give us a background of how the risk management function has evolved over the last, probably, it sounds like, 20 years that you've been at your career. Sure. So, you know, it's it's really interesting to, to sort of think about it, and and I would you know, anytime we're evaluating something like this, I, I would really sort of encourage listeners to, you know, ask deeper questions and ask why several times. I think it's important to evaluate the role of, you know, risk manage management within an enterprise to, to begin with. I think, you know, especially over the last 10 years or so, we've kind of seen the risk management role over the course of a soft market grow into almost solely a sort of a price buying and a, and a price washing type of function. But, uh, you know, it's important to consider that the role actually emerged as, you know, projects and construction started to become 
bigger and bigger and, and more complex. And the risk transfer function of insurance within, within construction companies became increasingly more important. So whereas historically, you know, that would have kind of just rolled up through finance and through legal, construction companies now will you know, resource and, uh, you know, carve out specific function to, to, to risk management. And, you know, hopefully in a way that actually allows for overall enterprise risk management, as opposed to just kind of a, you know, insurance buying type of type of function. I mentioned the note about, you know, what happens sort of during soft insurance markets. And, we tend to, in you know, in the industry, tend to fall into a little bit of a trap when coverage is in capacity are, are really readily available. We kind of see that, you know, somewhat a little bit of that that kind of complacency. I think it's tempting to, you know, relegate the risk management function to simply price watching in those environments. But I'd really encourage and almost warn companies that that doing that is, you know, it tends to be a little bit of a short-sighted approach and also somewhat of a of a you know of a missed opportunity. If you speak to risk managers, maybe in other industries or or, or risk managers that have been around through you know hard insurance markets. Risk managers really have the ability to play, you know, a vital role as sort of an information and knowledge hub, right? They're able to kind of harness that information from the insurance marketplace around the perception of risk and also operational best practices. And then they're able to feed this information back into the C-suite and really influence, you know, how the enterprise evaluates and how they price risk. And then secondly, how operations conduct their business and the impact of, of that risk on, on, the inter, on the enterprise. So, you know, the, the digger that you deep into that risk management function, I think the more opportunity you can see and how that can really serve the, the overall enterprise at a construction company. Love it. And Peter, for the listeners, can you define hard market versus soft market? Sure. So, Really, the you know the, the simplest way of, of of cutting it is in a soft market, insurance coverage capacity is widely available and pricing is very very competitive. You know that's typically precipitated by you know lower loss ratios, so there's a lot more appetite from carriers, insurance writers to to write the risk. In contrast, in a hard market, you know, you're seeing the curtailment of the availability of, of coverage, um, sometimes even to a point where it's not available at all. Uh, and also much more, you know, pricing that is sort of less competitive, right? In, in other words, it becomes much more of a insurer-driven market as opposed to a buyer-driven market. Mm, thank you. Moving to those three good guidance tips that you have, I think the first one as I understood it, was protecting your organization from silos. Can you tell us a little more about what you mean by that? Sure. So I think that the real sort of theme in, in this discussion, when I think about the function of risk management with, with an organization is, again, kind of the opportunity that the risk manager uh, has in, in, in being a, a knowledge hub, right? So in engaging with the insurance marketplace, the risk manager really has an opportunity and an obligation to influence risk discovery, right? And also risk control, as opposed to just evaluating the efficiency of, of risk transfer. 
you know, in the last five years or so, insurance companies have gotten increasingly savvy in their discovery and communication of risk control. They've made a lot of investment in, you know, risk engineering departments and have strategically deployed resources to really communicate that with their clients and their brokers and sort of the broader, the broader risk community. So the risk manager has the ability to, you know, evaluate internally what risk actually looks like, right, from observing how operations conduct their business. And also they have the ability to, you know, really listen in and tune into the operational best practices that are uh, tried, tested, and true, and are available from an insurer and insurer's risk uh, engineering department who have a very broad view into the marketplace and they see the best practices that are available across a wide section of, you know, a, a construction company's peers. And so, you know, by breaking down the silos within an organization, a risk manager really has the ability to sort of disseminate that, that information. And they're very uniquely positioned to, you know, make these connections between operations, between external insurance, and also between the C-suite. So, you know, I'd be, I strongly recommend to a lot of risk managers and then, you know, the, the C-suite partners that, that we deal with, that uh, they really open their ears up to the risk management function. And in some cases where we observe that there's a real opportunity to mandate that those connect connections happen. Right, that you know the risk manager gets in front of operations, that the risk manager is able to report back to the C-suite, and then also you know has is empowered enough to bring in some of those operational best practices from risk management departments at insurer partners and present them to operations. Right, not in a way where you know we're, we're kind of lecturing people, right, but really providing insights around you know how is it that we can manage our risks better. Because at some point, you know, when price discovery becomes inefficient, right, there's a real lack of symmetry around the, the, the risk and the cost of the risk that we're absorbing as, as contractors. Yeah, excellent. So if you're in operations or you're in the C-suite or you're in finance, I think the point is listen to the risk manager because they've got access to so much aggregated data through their carriers. I think that's a great point. And Peter, the second point you raised with us when we spoke is about data and the use of the use of data, the leveraging of data uh, as part of the risk management function. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so there's I think there's a couple of things I would sort of camp out on. The first one around around data is I, I really like to think about this in terms of you know a classic economic principle of price discovery, right? And I'll back up a little bit and just kind of talk about the hard market and soft market environment. And that is that, you know, when when you head into a hard market, and especially as steep of a hard market that we've been experiencing for the last you know, year, year and a half, the availability of cover declines to a point where sometimes it's just not available at all, right? And so that puts a lot of uh, contractors in a fairly precarious position because at that point, they're false, they are forced to self-insure. And without the proper price discovery, right? There is very little that they can suddenly do in, in order to, you know, not only make intelligent decisions about how to price that risk, but also in terms of how to 
properly shield themselves against some of the behaviors, right, from operations that may have actually led to, you know, some of those hard market conditions that the company is experiencing, right? So without the access and the awareness of all the data in the first place, right, it's difficult to, you know, make those intelligent price discovery decisions, right, around, okay, well, what is it about our loss ratios, perhaps, or what is it about the industry loss ratios that is creating the situation that we're, we're sort of finding, finding ourselves in, right, first and foremost. And then secondly, we talk about data a lot in the context of, you know, how technology enables the work that, that contractors perform. So, you know, there are a lot of data pools that are out there, a lot of them that are, you know, collected by some of the new technologies that are utilized. Unless that data is appropriately pooled and unless that data is appropriately linked together and then further, unless someone is able to sort of view it and evaluate it that has, you know, a larger kind of forest from the trees type of view, we're really missing an opportunity for, again, price discovery in terms of the true cost of risk. But then, you know, sometimes I would say even, even more importantly, a, you know, a discovery around what is actually happening within the organization in terms of risk, right? Do we actually know how all the activities are being carried out? Are we, you know, are we addressing all the different data points? Do we understand how operations is, you know, performing the work? Are we able to sort of feed back and understand, you know, from, so, so just to give you an example, from a quality control standpoint, quality control is a, you know, is a, is a key driver of, of losses across a number of, of of different insurance products and, and something that, you know, again, from a price discovery uh, perspective can cost, potentially cost the contractor a lot of money. If we're not tracking our, you know, our sort of, you know, our misses, our, our, our fixes and the amount of, you know, rework for quality control, the non-conformance that happens, and unless that data is somehow being aggregated and tracked over time, we're missing a huge opportunity in terms of how we can improve from an operational best practices standpoint. And then again, how do we actually price the cost of that risk into, into the enterprise? So, you know, when we talk about data, it's, uh, you know, my, my view on it is that it's not simply, you know, an awareness, right? But also the interlinking of various data pools, right? Where they come from and the ability to harness that into something meaningful. And, you know, there, there are several sort of prongs and several things that need to be activated within a contractor's operation in order to harness that. But I would also say that in most cases, for most contractors, those things are already in place because they're, they're already using project management systems. They're already using things at site, which will sort of gather and harness the, the data. And they already have enterprise risk management systems and folks to look after that stuff. Sometimes it just has to do with connecting those dots in, in a some, somewhat of a, a relational manner and then taking that force from the trees view. Yeah, and that makes total sense because if you think about it, your first point, break down the silos. You got to do that first if you're going to integrate data across operations and finance and risk management. So I'm getting the first two. The third was empower your risk management team. Tell us more about that. Sure. So, you know, I, I kind of keep keep coming back to this point because I think it's I think it's really critical in that, you know, that 
risk management function serves such a huge opportunity for the enterprise that, you know, if they're relegated during, say, soft market times to simply a function of being an insurance buyer, we're really missing a massive opportunity in terms of feeding information back into the enterprise and the ability to implement better operational best practices. And, you know, how we do that is, I think, twofold. On the one hand is really encouraging risk management to develop relationships internally right? And that is building alliances within operations, right? And empowering that role in in a way where, you know, there isn't really a perception that the risk manager is coming in to have conversations to, you know, sort of to to lecture or to to tell operations how to do, do their job better or anything like that. Because obviously there are, you know, certain intricacies to relationships within organizations and you wouldn't want anyone to, you know, feel, you know, a little bit defensive or or disrupted in in the role that they're executing, but really sort of mandate this as an opportunity that is, that is to be harnessed in that a risk manager has the ability to bring in a lot of operational best practices from, you know, a, a myriad of different sources. And this is something that they're able to bring to the table in a productive manner and building a relationship with with operations. It sort of works the other way as well, because I think it's important for, you know, operational folks to understand that they really stand to benefit from a strong relationship with risk risk management because their ability to convey how they manage risk and how they control risk to an insurer that is facilitated by risk manager ultimately in the end leads to a more stable insurer relationship and and better terms, right? And fundamentally from, again, an empowerment standpoint of that risk management function, if there is buy-in at the C-suite level around what that risk manager can bring to the table, it it just makes, it it really just helps that person fulfill fulfill that mandate. Hey, that's, that's incredible stuff, Peter. So one of the things that we like to do on the podcast, you know, we, we always like to talk about specific points, you know, things that can really help our listeners, but then also give them an action item. So keeping in mind that our audience is typically insurance professionals, contractors, owners, technology experts. After that, what action item, you know, what is something they could do today? What is the tangible thing that they could start now to help fix that problem or enhance where they currently are? Sure. No, I, I I appreciate that because I think it's it's important to um, you know be able to take take away actions right right away. And I th- I think regardless of which perspective you're taking here, whether it is that you're you know acting as a risk manager or you know you are an insurer or perhaps even a project owner, really it's all about picking up the phone and starting a, you know, a functional dialogue around where are you going to take some of these, some of these insights. So, you know, for a risk manager, I would say, give a call to your best advocate within operations and really evaluate how you can better connect with them around your understanding of the risk that they take. Right. And I'm also helping to sort of deploy some of these best practices. So I would say as a primary takeaway, pick up the phone and start building those relationships and building those allyships. That's that's critical for for a risk management role. You know, from a carrier standpoint, I think, um, again, something that we've seen carriers do really well over the last number of years is 
opening up about the risk control function, right? So engage with the broker, engage with your clients in conversations about how your better understanding of a client's risk and your better relationship with the client is going to enable you to better underwrite and better access, provide better access to cover on you know, more favorable terms, ultimately. At the end of the day, if an underwriter has a really good and really clear understanding of you know, how projects are being deployed and how risk is being managed at a, at a construction firm, fundamentally, that's better for the relationship, that's better for their ability to assess that risk, and in the end, you know, leads to a better leads to a better working relationship and better terms. And I think from from an owner standpoint, engage with your contractor about risk in the first place, right? Not just risk transfer. I think in a lot of cases, you know, conversations kind of just get stuck around who's handling insurance and who is that better for, right? But let's just talk about risk control on the job site to to begin with, right? As a part of an overall risk strategy, right? So, you know, insurance is obviously a very important an important part of that, but, you know, an overall risk, risk control strategy and what that means for the relationship. Good stuff, Peter. We're now moving into our speed round uh, timeframe and we've got four for you. First, what is it that makes you most energized about the work you do? I think fundamentally it's about, uh, you know, this business really is about people, right? So, you know, it's about making connections with, with, with people, with, you know, for us, it's, it's contractors learning about, uh, you know, how construction company operates, how the projects get deployed, the stuff that happens on the job site, how risks get managed, how, you know, a large construction enterprise really, really functions and making connections with, you know, insurer, insurer partners and, uh, you know, helping, helping them understand better how our clients operate and really facilitating those connections and helping those folks work together. And then secondly, solve problems. Fantastic. So Peter, going the other direction then, what is something that you find right now that you're being challenged by professionally? Well, I think, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're what, 13 months into some quite unprecedented times, right? Uh, I think, generally speaking, we'd be seeing each other at conferences, uh, you know, at least a couple of times a year. We'd have an opportunity to have discussions like this, you know, face-to-face. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges really is, uh, you know, the inability to do those meetings in person, right? So while on the one hand, I think, you know, it's terrific that we've really gotten into a good groove around using Teams and Skype and, and, and all these amazing tech tools to be able to connect somewhat face-to-face. It's still not quite the same. And so travel and getting together, the travel being cut is really curtailed. And, um, you know, I think uh, it's somewhat limited those interpersonal relationships. And I think also, you know, in terms of if I look kind of internally about uh, in, in, in our work at, uh, at Aon here, you know, the loss of sort of working side by side with people and, and learning from them has also been, been somewhat limiting. I think those interpersonal relationships, I think, have been, have been the biggest challenge over the last little while. Yeah, and sometimes I think about, Peter, the younger professionals who haven't had the 20 years of previous interpersonal connections. I think it's a really tough time for those folks, and I'm anxious to get back to it. A hundred percent. I think, I think yeah. that's very underestimated in terms of the impact that that has on, on that cohort. You know, I mean, if we mm-hmm. think about 
career development and, you know, when really you learn, like the periods of time when you really learn a lot, right? Those early stages in your career when you're acting as a sponge and you have the opportunity to be directly or indirectly mentored by others are critical. And so I think we need to be really careful in, in how we move forward around how work is restructured when we do go back to the office, uh, that we, uh, you know, we're, we're very aware and cognizant of, of these issues and, um, you know, really do sort of take that cohort of, of young people seriously. Excellent. What is something that you learned in surety that is useful in the SDI space? What isn't really? You know, as I said, uh, the surety market, the surety product and the surety marketplace is, is just so multidisciplinary and really exposes you to so many aspects of this business, right? If we interlay it to SDI, I mean, I think uh, just the experience in how a general contractor engages with subcontractors, right? And also the legal framework within which they operate and how contracts actually intersect and how they work. I think, a, I think an experience in, in surety underwriting provides a, a very good platform for it because fundamentally, as a surety underwriter, you are evaluating the contractual obligations. So you're, you know, your primary role is to understand the contractual risk that you're guaranteeing. So you're getting into the nitty gritty of underwriting contracts, right? And, you know, in looking at SDI and the function of insuring for a default, we're talking about a contractual default, right? So understanding how contracts work and how the relationship between whether it's owner and GC or GC subcontractor is, is critical. And so I think, you know, a, a career and an introduction in surety is um, anything within construction and the risk management is a terrific start. And I really would, again, encourage a lot of, a lot of young folks who may be listening to consider a, a career in surety underwriting as a great sort of entry, entry step or, you know, even, even a, a long-term career. I talk about it as, uh, as something that was maybe in the past, but I continue to, to handle surety business on a day-by-day basis as well. Hmm. Interesting. When travel resumes, Peter, what's, your, what's the first place on your list? I think London, London calling. <laughs> you know, the, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I didn't get an opportunity to, to visit London until I was, I'd say a little bit more advanced in, in my career until I was with, with Aon and underwriting the SDI space. And managing the SDI space. And uh, it's it's interesting because I think, you know, in North America anyway, the insurance, insurance as a profession, right? I think sometimes unfairly suffers from the perception that it's a little bit stodgy, right? Whereas, you know, that is completely upside down in a marketplace like London. You know, you really sort of see that the, the professionalism and the excitement of, you know, of underwriting risks when you visit a place like Lloyd's of London, when you learn about the history and, you know, you see the way that that marketplace interacts. You know, my first impression coming away from you know, Lloyd's of London and, and the London marketplace is that they really managed to make insurance look sexy, which is, which is quite, which is quite a feat. <laughs> That's great. And so Peter, one last question over here. Yeah. As you might've noticed, the podcast is called the building bite again, uh, BIM insurance technology with the experts, but we do like to ask our guests, you know, what are you taking a bite out of today? <laughs> so you're up in Toronto, you mentioned Lloyd's of London, maybe it's fish and chips. What, uh, what would be the number one bite for you? 
So uh, it was, you guys are making me a little hungry thinking about it, but uh, so, so a couple of things. The first thing would be, I, I, I mostly follow sort of a paleo diet, right? So a lot of meat, a lot of fats and things like that. And then secondly, I also practice intermittent fasting. So, you know, my morning routine is to sort of work through about, you know, 11 or so on just coffee, and then I'm ready for a brunch. And my brunch usually is a giant egg witch. So you know, I'll kind of do a classic sort of, you know, pumpernickel type of bread, lots of avocado, protein of choice, be it bacon or roasted ham, two eggs, some cheese sprinkled on top, add some salsa, hot sauce, and it's it's good to go. It's piled about about this this high. I'm on my way to Toronto. I was going to say, that sounds <laughs> incredible. Love to have you. <laughs> Got to be up there by noon to get that. Peter, thank you so much for chatting with us today. If the listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you? Best way to get a hold of me is by email. So pretty easy. It's peter.kapler at aon.ca. And then at that point, more than happy to set up a call. Love talking about this stuff. Love talking about risk management and specifically SDI. I can talk about it all day. So if you've got all day, give me a ring. Good stuff. Thank you, Peter. We'll see you soon. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Nice chatting today. Yes. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for listening to The Building Bite. This podcast has been brought to you by Proactive. Check us out on thebuildingbite.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on social media for all future The Building Bite news and updates. You can also find us on your favorite apps, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Amazon. If you have ideas for episode topics that we should cover on the show, or you know somebody who would be a perfect guest, let us know at connect at buildingbite.com.